Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things and the history of making things. Um, And we normally like to start before our main topic by talking a bit about what we've been making recently. So what have you been up to? I've been continuing my short DPN adventures. How's it going? I made... I made some gloves with a basket weave cuff. Ooh. And matching basket weave hat and working on a basket weave scarf. Oh, that's awesome. You've got like a whole matching set. And I'm also making Nick some gloves with my short DPNs. You just can't be stopped on these tiny DPNs now. I'm going to make so many gloves. I might make some socks. Gonna make all you should make toe socks. I would, but the feeling of something between my toes makes me physically nauseous. You should make me toe socks. Maybe I will. (laughs) My toes will appreciate. (laughs) I always say, if you don't want something, you should give it to some toes that will appreciate it. Yeah. But that is what they all say. Yeah. Especially when it's food. <laughs> I think I think that's a different podcast. Um, what are you doing up to? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what you meant by that, and I'm not going to find out. Cause All I'm saying is Kellogg would disapprove. Oh no, okay. <laughs> okay, let's... Moving swiftly on. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, again, not that much going on with me, I'm afraid. Um, I've been, did I, yeah, did I, sorry, I probably didn't. I've been um, knitting some hand warmers um, for my supervisors on my placement. Oh, nice. Because it's a hand therapy team. Ha ha ha. I wasn't even thinking about that. I just really love a hand warmer. <laughs> I mean, I also did do it because um, they're small projects and I could finish it by the time I, it's my last day. Um, but yeah, I've been doing that with a uh, just just simple hand warmers, basically just a square that you fold in half and seam up the side, leaving a hole for the thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've done that with a mosaic stitch. So it's kind of got a bit of pattern, but it's still quite simple because I've been really tired and just basically wanting to just do some simple knitting so i've I done that enjoy that way of making a hand warmer it's basically like a tea cozy like it's the yeah. same construction <laughs> yeah, yeah it's cute so like I, I can use dpns but i just don't want to right now <laughs> oh <laughs> i'm enjoying the simple things at the moment um so that's what i've been up to i'll try and get a picture of those on the, the twitter um yeah <laughs> um that's been nice and then I've been sort of chipping away at my quilt I've not really been able to do any food history or otherwise related things because I don't have an oven yeah that is that does make it difficult yeah I can't oh that is like one of the things I'm most looking forward to about going home is that I will get to bake things again and roast things 
Um, to send me your, to send you my uh, Welsh cake recipe. Oh yes, please. That's a nice thing to do on a stove. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I've Especially been getting quite good at one pots. Um, I did make a lovely Irish stew. Ooh. Irish stew. I find that hard to say for some reason. Uh, last weekend. Lovely. The cheesy dumplings. We love a dumpling. I've said it before. We love a dumpling. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go out just on the record as dumpling loving podcast. Hot political take. <laughs> dumplings are great. We don't. We we said what we said. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's that, really. But I do have a bit of a planned project. Oh. Um, in in the kind of long run, which is going to be the topic of this episode. Oh. Oh. Before we get into the topic. Oh, go on. Um. I do want to shout out. We got so a while ago. We got a lovely message on Tumblr from someone called Pumpkin just saying that the podcast was really nice and that made me really happy. Um, oh, yeah, that was lovely. But they, they have since messaged us again and also made an actual Tumblr blog to properly follow us. So I just want to say, hi, Pumpkin, we appreciate you. Oh, wow. What? I haven't seen that. Okay, that's amazing. Um, Pumpkin, you're great. Thank you for saying nice things about us. <laughs> I, I, I want to put that energy out into the world. Yeah, I will endeavour to post more things on the Tumblr. Um, so, would you like to hear about Gansies? I would. <laughs> I thought you might say that. It's my favourite piece of knitwear. <laughs> um, so, have you... Ha- yeah, okay, I'm going to start actually by... Okay, so, if you've not come across a Gansey, dear listeners, a Gansey is a kind of jumper or sweater and it is it's a very distinctive kind so I'm going to go into that in a minute um Liz do you want to because I know you've knitted maybe a couple Gansies do you want to talk about the ones that you've made first yeah so a Gansey is I believe it's kind of a regional name for um what's often called just like a fisherman sweater or mm-hmm. an Aran jumper that kind of thing it's generally thick and cozy and it's got lots of cabling on um my second ever project was a gansey because i am that kind of person went straight from a scarf to a gansey <laughs> um but yeah you get them around i think it's the aran islands hence aran jumper aran yarn and they have all these very complex patterns that are I can't remember if it's true or not, but there's a thing about them being like geographically specific, and they're just so, the coziest, warmest jumpers, and I love them. So I'm gonna go into that. Yeah, um, yeah, they look super cozy, and I'm really impressed with the last one you made. Um, that was just ah, yeah, because the the knives out jumper in my mind counts as a ganzi, yeah, because it's thick and it's cabley, and those are okay. the main qualifications. Yeah, so actually, even though it's a very specific kind of thing, what I've found out from, you know, looking at a lot of Gansies is that there is a lot of diversity within the sphere of Gansey. And while there might be like a sort of classic type, there is there is also a lot of variation. Um, they have all sorts of stitches on. Um, they have sort of 
so from cables to like just knits and pearls um and mustard so yeah um so it's kind of like um yes there are distinctive things that make a gansey different from other jumpers but also um there is a lot of regional variation um because they were worn kind of all around the british isles really around the coastal areas um they were basically the the ubiquitous fisherman's jumper like kind of unofficial uniform really mm. um because everybody wore them because they were so hard wearing and warm yeah the teaser image for this episode um if you look very closely it's hard because it's not a great quality photo because it's quite old mm-hmm. but the, there are subtle differences in the jumpers that the men in the picture are wearing mm-hmm. so i have a fantastic picture and i will put this up on the twitter um and it's of a group of gentlemen from the early 1900s um presumably all fishermen and they are there's about 10 of them 10 or 12 and they're all wearing gansies and most of them have got quite impressive facial hair <laughs> Well, they're all wearing these sort of berries as well except for one guy in the middle who's in a sort of bowler hat um yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic um and yeah and yeah they're wearing these these wonderful gansies um so some of so yeah so so if you go back to the beginning traditionally fisherman type jumper so if you think uh, i don't know what a famous like fisherman character captain bird's eye captain haddock (laughs) Captain Haddock. <laughs> when you think of the classic, you know, yeah. uh, Captain Whatever smoking a pipe and and wearing a knitted jumper, that's probably what you'll think of. That's a Gansey. Um, <laughs> so these, as I said, are very hard-wearing jumpers. And they originated sometime in the 19th century, um, kind of as, as a widespread thing. Um, they were probably wearing, you know, warm things, probably knitted things before that. Um, but during the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution, you could now get special Gansey wool, which was a five-ply wool. So the iron wool that you can buy now, isn't it? Not quite chunky, but thicker than double knit. It is also worsted spun. That's a bit of a distinction I'll go into. So apologies if anyone wasn't really expecting like detailed yarn structure talk on this podcast. Um, but what were you expecting from me, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so worsted refer today refers to a, a weight, so a thickness of wool, um, particularly in the US. But worsted historically refers to the way that the wool is spun. So it's been combed so that all the fibres are aligned and spun that way, rather than being carded and like rolled into a rolag and spun like that. That's woolen spun. So woolen spun yarn is lovely and bouncy and airy and worsted spun is quite dense okay interesting. Um, yeah which um, makes it better for a fisherman's jumper 
yeah, so like dense and uh, quite drapey usually. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's a five-ply worsted spun yarn. And that's going to be quite strong as well because the plies are the individual like threads in your piece of yarn that are all twisted together. And the more plies it has, the stronger it will be. Um, so like if you wear through one of the strands, it's not going to fall apart. The others are still strong. It's, you know, it's the same like a rope. So the hallmarks of a Gansey, um, especially a traditional Gansey, are this, this special yarn, this um, wool worsted spun five-ply yarn, which apparently used to be known as Siemens Iron. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they were usually knitted in a plain colour. Um, very densely knitted so all of the the interest comes from the pattern um the, the texture of the pattern rather than the color um so then they would be textured either all over or just on the top um and what they would be on the top sorry what do you mean by on the top so like um some of them the bottom so like the part on your hips and your belly would be plain just like plain knitting and then the textured part would be on the top half so the top of the sleeves and the chest okay Um, yeah so that was because it was that was the area that if you're working if you're out working you're a fisherman that's more likely to get worn so some people wouldn't bother like doing taking the extra time to knit the pattern on that part because it would just get worn away and then you just like re-knit it or patch it or darn it. That's smart. Yeah, it does make sense. And there are some um, some of these Gansies in museums where you can see where the, the collar or parts of the sleeve or the bottom rib band has been re-knitted um, sometimes like several years later after it was made or sometimes they would get passed down um to to the next generation so yeah these these were objects that or garments that that could have a really long life and were designed to have it a really long life and be able to be repaired uh, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> when you think about yeah. the kind of people who wore them um which i will talk about in a minute so the word gansey um, it is it is kind of a regional name. It's more sort of north of England, um, Scotland, I think. Um, you might have also heard them called Guernseys. Yeah, I think Gansey is a corruption of Guernsey. Yeah, so because they are, I mean, they are also worn in the Channel Isles, although apparently it's a slightly different construction. Um, it's not thought that they originated in Guernsey um but because like that's a style of knitting that that island is also known for like that is a name that got attached to this kind of jumper um although there's also a theory that because it's quite similar to the Irish and Scottish Gaelic word for words for jumper um that it might be sort of a generic word for jumper that got like passed over to this fisherman's jumper and then it's also similar to the German garn for yarn. So, like, there, there's all sorts of ideas on where the word came from. 
Um, but is it, it is also thought to be a corruption of Guernsey. So um, it's one of those that it just kind of happened <laughs> and nobody's really sure. Um, so as I said, these were often worn by fishermen. Um, these are really hardworking people who are usually not making a lot of money and they need these, they would have needed these garments to keep them warm when they were out in the elements fishing um, and would need something that was going to wear well and last a really long time. Um, but as we know, people also make, people just like to make things look nice <laughs> um, and put patterns on things. And these these Gansies are known for being quite intricately patterned. And there are patterns associated with different areas. Um, but then also people would move around because um, these are, I mean, they're fishing, so they would be traveling around as well. And then also a big, a big thing was the annual herring harvest which would actually travel round the country as the season progressed so it would start up in the far north of scotland um in the hebrides and then sort of travel round the country towards norfolk um so people would be moving around and these designs do Kind of get transferred and there's some fun stories about this um so there definitely are designs that are associated with particular towns um like if you look up the patterns for these you'll see like the filey gansey um particular scottish gansies like fife um you'll see uh, also cornish um like devon and Corn cornish patterns and in Cornwall, apparently, they were known as nitrocks, which is which is quite sweet. That's, that's a very good word. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, so there there are definitely um, Eilly, Bridlington, um, I don't think the specific ones, but there are definitely patterns associated with a region. Um, however, it's you might have heard the story that the patterns were so distinct that if somebody drowned at sea you would be able to identify them and take their body back to their home port because you would be able to tell from the pattern on their jumper where they came from yeah, I was just about to ask about that yeah <laughs> so that one there isn't really any evidence for um, both because well there are regional patterns but you can find them in different places as well. Um, like, you know, they did get passed around and people in different places came up with the same thing. Um, and, you know, in a lot of these pictures of groups of people wearing Gansies from the same place, they're all wearing different ones. So, so it's not like everyone, it's not like they were, they were like super regional. Everyone was only wearing a certain pattern. And secondly, because if someone was lost at sea, it's kind of unlikely that the body would be recovered anyway, unfortunately. True. Um, so that that's those are the reasons that um, it's not thought that that is that that story is true. 
But there is a lovely story um, about people, because of course I haven't talked yet about the people who are actually knitting these, um, which was very often the women in the family. Um, although certainly men were knitting at the time as well. Um, and sometimes these would be knitted by men, but more often it was the women of the family who were you doing the knitting. Me that historically people didn't always strict rig- stick rigidly to gender roles. Yeah, yeah, funny that. <laughs> it turns out they didn't. I'm horrified. Um, in fact, it's a shock horror. Gender roles can in fact change over time and what we think today as uh, as rigid was not so in the past. Um, but yeah, yeah. so <laughs> more on that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I mean, I say that there are a lot of places in the world today where like, it's considered culturally normal for men to knit and has been so for centuries so you know go figure but um actually that's a that's a future episode thing isn't it that we could do um like particularly in scandinavia and south america there's a big um sort of manly knitting culture yeah i do want to do episodes on knitting and on crochet in the future yeah that would be great um but yeah, well, so the people knitting these gansies uh, were more often the women. And um, <laughs> there's a story I heard that obviously they would be on the lookout for new patterns all the time. Uh, because if you're knitting the same thing for a while, it gets boring and you've got a new member of the family. You know, they want they want a jumper that doesn't look like everyone else's. Mm-hmm. So looking for new patterns. And apparently um, if there was a man in town who was wearing an unusual Gansey with never before seen patterns you might see him being followed around by a crowd of women like trying to work out the pattern <laughs> as, as he walks adorable. <laughs> I know <laughs> um, and in fact um, in one of the most well known books of Gansey patterns um, which is called Guernsey's Jerseys and Arons I believe I'm just going to check that now, actually. Uh, you know, I've never made the connection between Jersey the place and Jersey the name for jumpers, but it makes sense that it would be like like Guernsey's, just like another name for the local jumpers. Yeah, yeah. And actually, we call knitted fabric Jersey fabric now, you know, like T-shirt fabric. Mm. Um, so that one's kind of stuck around. Um, but both um, both areas were also quite one, well known for their knitting um, during the 18th and 19th century, especially their knitting of stockings. So yeah, this book called Patterns for Guernseys, Jerseys and Arons by Gladys Thompson, um, which came out quite a while ago. I think it came out in the maybe in the 60s. Um, but this is one of the most well known um, collections of of Gansey patterns or of traditional. Uh, jumper patterns and she went around collecting these <laughs> around the British Isles and notes down Someone has few, to. exactly uh, notes down a few anecdotes um, and one of them is that 
she saw um sort of an old old sailor type wearing this beautiful gansey and she immediately started sort of covertly following him to try and figure out the pattern and she got about halfway through before he went into a pub and oh no it was mid-century britain women couldn't go to pubs so she wasn't brave enough to follow him in <laughs> so she didn't get all of that one beautiful <laughs> I know so these Gansies were being knitted um, and I'm using I'm using the word Gansy but it's interchangeable with these other terms really um, these could be knitted well these were knitted for, for members of the family um, but if there was any spare time they could also be knitted for money um, to sell to other fishermen or other people who sort of liked knew the virtues uh, of, of these jumpers and these could apparently some women were so good at knitting these they could just do it in the dark just by the feel of the stitches they could knit these patterns made of like raised pearls and knits and even cables just in the dark i mean there's probably quite a useful skill without electric lighting uh, absolutely um and speaking of the herring the herring trade um, which at the time was a booming trade, very big, employed a lot of people, including thousands of herring girls, which you may have heard of. Um, especially as a bell. Yeah, there's a folk song called The Herring Girl, I think. I can't remember who it's by. Um, but these women were employed to gut the fish because it had to be processed as soon as it was caught, basically, for export to kind of around the world. Mm -hmm. um, so they would be employed to, as soon as the fish came in, um, to gut it and prepare it for further processing. And they would have to work at a really, really fast speed, uh, but they would also travel around following the, the herring season. And they would take their knitting with them. And <laughs> there are amazing pictures of all of these herring girls um, on their off-duty hours, just like doing some knitting. Um, like either, I guess, for personal knitting or to make a bit of extra money on the side. Um, and apparently <laughs> in the South, it wasn't so common to see a lady knitting in public. Uh, whereas in Scotland and the Northeast, that was that was just normal so um <laughs> these these herring girls would be just strolling around knitting and people were quite shocked the idea of being shocked by that is wild <laughs> like it's it's not private in any way <laughs> i know i know but i think also because of the style of knitting like especially in scotland the use of knitting belts was quite popular um so that's that's where you have like a little, um, especially like I've seen, I don't know in other places, but I've seen um, Shetland knitters uh, using these belts that are made of sort of leather and you tie them around the waist and you hold, you kind of prop one needle onto the belt um, and then you can knit it sort of, you can knit faster, if that makes sense. Um, I think I think I can picture it. 
Yeah, and then you can sort of I might, tie the I might try and find a picture for the Twitter. Yeah, you can sort of tie the rest of your your what you're working on to the belt so that it's not uh, so that it takes the weight off what you're knitting, and then yeah. Um, oh, which speaking of, I didn't mention, but these gansies were traditionally knitted usually in the round on double pointed needles. Oh, so you've got the full weight of it. Yes, which is not what you usually think of for knitting jumpers. <laughs> I mean, today people tend to use circular needles. Um, or even when we think about the heyday of um, of knitting in perhaps the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, when things were often knitted flat on two needles. Um but yeah, knitting things on double-pointed needles, so using five needles um, to knit a garment on the round, we think of as quite a modern construction, but it's mm. actually very, very historical. Um, and a lot of, especially underwear, was being produced that way, uh, sort of from the late Middle Ages. But yeah, this method was still being used to create these gansies on these long double-pointed needles, and you can still get those as well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this is... This is what I'm going to attempt, I think. <laughs> um, I'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Um, yeah, I have I have done jumpers in the round. It's mm-hmm. it's actually it's fine until you get up to the armpit and you have to start splitting it. Yeah, that can be a bit tricky. Um, I think I mean I don't. Yeah, I don't really mind either construction. Um, my first one was in the round and that was fine because it does go quite quickly and yeah. I like not having to do too much sewing up. But there is something quite quite a neat feeling about doing a, a flat construction, I think, and then sewing it all up and it feeling like you're tailoring <laughs> when you're not really, you just knitted, but um, that's quite fun. Mm. So speaking of... Um, they would often have kind of false seams. So just like one pearl stitch running down the side of the jumper, um, which allows you to, because they weren't using patterns, of course, these were all in the knitter's head. So that kind of allows you when you're knitting to see where the side is. So you can make, you know, when you want to make it bigger or smaller in a certain area, you know you would do your increases or your decreases at the sides so that it looks symmetrical. Um, and that would show you kind of how your help you fit your pattern in. So you know that, okay, this pattern is over 10 stitches. So I need to do this many repeats of the pattern so it will fit. Um, I guess it also would serve the purpose of like a marker at the start of the round. Yeah. So you know exactly. when you're starting to repeat again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a false seam, but it's not for decorative reasons really it's for practical reasons but i guess also decorative um and they would often have the initials of the person who was wearing it knitted in do the gansey so using pearl stitches to create the initials of the person which is lovely that's really cute and sometimes the number of children they had as well Um, and these weren't only worn by men. Um, it was kind of thought that they were just fishermen's sweaters for a while. Um, but there are some gansies that have been discovered 
in multiple different colours. So the traditional colour is navy blue for a working Gamzee. Um, although they have been found in other colours because, of, pe- of course, people were using the wool that they could get their hands on. And if that wasn't navy blue and somebody needed a Gamzee, well, never mind. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, the kind of general traditional colour is navy blue. Um, or possibly cream or like off-white, um, which people would sometimes have a working Gansey and one for Sunday best, which I quite like as well. <laughs> so some of the ones that you see in the pictures might actually be people's Sunday best. And they were the ones that were more likely to be patterned all over and be a lighter colour. Because you want to have less wear and tear on them. Mm. Um, yeah, so... They they kind of fell out of favour in the 20th century, as with many traditional crafts. Um, although you can, I'm I, I'm pretty sure like you can see the influence in a lot of commercial knitwear fashion, um, because people do like a nice table jumper or a nice pattern jumper. So like in a way, it's it's kind of good that 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 influence is still there. Um, but of course, they are definitely not as hard wearing as a traditional Gansey. I mean, these are a proper working jumper that is going to keep you warm. And even, I mean, they're not waterproof, but they are going to protect you from a bit of light, light water because um, they're just very tightly knitted. Yeah, I mean, that thickness of proper wool is going to do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> definitely although the actual Gansey yarn um is i think it's around a four ply like it's not that thick but it's just the the gauge that it's knitted at yeah um, but once you start doing the cabling the jumper gets thicker oh yeah for sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> uh, so yeah i am gonna attempt one of these hopefully this year um i'm gonna make one for joe my boyfriend which is honestly a hell of a, a hell of a gift sweater. Like <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit above and beyond. <laughs> but as long as you um, don't awaken the sweater curse. Oh my gosh! No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think he's going to appreciate it because I did say like, "Do you want one of these?" And he was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Um, and he does, you know, he has a lot of sort of seaside connection. Um, and he does go out walking a lot on the seafront. Um, and he likes sailing and stuff. And yeah, just, just does a lot of outdoor things. So I think he will get good use out of it. And yeah. it will be worth making one. So I, d- I do want to make one for myself eventually. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so cosy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, also, I should probably say what the sweater curse is for the uninitiated. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, it's basically the idea that if you start knitting a jumper for a significant other, um, especially a boyfriend, the relationship will end before you finish making the jumper. Which, I mean, it's probably a lot of confirmation bias and a lot of working very hard on a big thing 
that they maybe don't appreciate is a big thing and just the fact that they take forever yeah i mean like i'm a fairly slow knitter so (laughs) i'm probably like at risk of the sweater curse just by virtue of like by the time i finish a sweater it will have been several years (laughs) (laughs) um it is referenced in the sims knitting pack which is quite fun is it really yeah there is there is a slight chance of um after making a jumper and gifting it to another sim it being really hard to do romantic interactions for a little bit but then to be honest i think there's probably like a high proportion of the opposite of the sweater curse which is where you make your partner a jumper and they love it and they love you for making them a whole jumper and your relationship gets stronger Oh, yeah, like, it's absolutely going to be a confirmation bias thing, but I find it really funny whenever someone says they're making their significant other a jumper now. <laughs> I know, it is quite funny that if you say that, people go, ooh, are you sure? <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it's fine. If we break off, I'll just take it back. And then you'll have one without having to make a second one. <laughs> exactly. And we're a similar size, so it will be fine. It'll fit me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to attempt this Gansey. He said he wants it in a, in a cream colour. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to do all over pattern or just on top. Um, because, I mean, he's not going out at three in the morning and fishing up herring. So it's probably not going to get that much wear and tear. But I do quite like the look where it's just patterned across the top. So we'll see. Um, I'm going to try and get hold of this book because when you look for patterns for Gansies, like fully fully written patterns, there's not that many. Um, like I suppose depending on where you look. But if you want to go for like a traditional style, it can be quite difficult to find. Um, and yeah. I want to try, I want to try reproducing one of these regional patterns. Um, so these patterns, they have names like Scottish Flag, Ropes and Ladders, Betty Martin, Marriage Lines is <laughs> quite a funny one. Um, yeah, they have all these lovely names um, for the individual motifs in the pattern. So the patterns on these jumpers are made up of all these individual kinds of pattern arranged in a different way. And obviously this was all all done traditionally without a pattern which which is amazing so these these individual motifs would kind of be passed from person to person and then made into these unique combinations of pattern it's it's amazing it's beautiful so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try a bit of a reproduction um possibly trying to to figure out several of these motifs and put them together into something um and see what happens really this probably isn't going to happen very soon (laughs) because i do have a few things i need to finish first but it's something i want to at least begin this year so i'll try and yeah (laughs) if anyone wants to do a bit of a knit along with me let me know we could run a podcast knit along couldn't we that that could be quite fun that could be quite fun (laughs) okay We'll we'll mull that over for a bit.
Um, and yeah, I will. I'll give it a go, and I'm going to try out the double pointed needles method. So we'll see how far I get with that before I want to just break them all over my knee in a rage. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gonna. I feel like it's going to get quite heavy because for an adult person, they recommend using about a kilo of wool. Yeah, that's how much the knives out jumper weighs. Yeah, I mean that's cozy, but it's also. Quite heavy when you're knitting it, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was doing it on circular needles. Yeah. Um, the filament bit came out of the needle. Oh my goodness. It was too heavy for my circulars. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I'm going to end this section um, actually on the note of a picture that I will put up on the Twitter and this picture is of a statue that stands in in the harbour in the port of Bridlington um, in the UK and this statue is called the Gansey Girl and it is of a woman sitting down and knitting a Gansey and it's beautiful um, and I had I had no idea that there was like this was actually memorialized in a statue um, until I had a bit of a look around um, getting ready for this episode. And, and I found this. Um, and yeah, I really love it. Um, I love that it's such a kind of beloved thing that they have a statue to it in this place. So I will be posting that to the Twitter. And please do go and have a look. And that is a short and sweet history of the Gansey. And maybe you're inspired to give it a go, or maybe you really want one now, and you're going to grab the knitter in your life and plead them to make one. In which case, good luck. Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real, and what is the best rules for an OP? Then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. So, yeah, before we move on to Local Arda, I do just want to say um, we have a WordPress now, which we will hopefully be posting to weekly on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, the first post is on Cottage Pie, etc. Etc. Well, you know, cottage pie, shepherd's pie, fish pie, Cumberland pie. There's some other ones. There's a lot of things okay. at the same genre. <laughs> yeah. Genre of pie. I like it. Okay. There's also shepherdess's pie, I think, which is like a vegan version. Really? Ah, that's fun. Cumberland pie, which was my sister's favourite growing up. Does that have sausages in it? Um, it's half beef, half pork, I believe. Oh, right, okay. Hmm. Or, or half beef, half lamb. I don't remember offhand. But it's it's a mixed mixed meat. <laughs> Everybody's favourite. So yeah, local larder, I thought, this is going to get a little bit gross after all of the wholesome jumpers. Because okay. I thought I would talk about, um... Illegal Sardinian cheese. Illegal cheese? 
illegal cheese. Um, so there's a couple of cheeses that are produced in Sardinia, which have kind of gross, kind of unhygienic um, traditional production methods, which mean that they are illegal to produce, even though they are still produced by the ton in Sardinia. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so the first one I want to talk about, because it's there's less to say, is um, Sukalu. Which is, so you know, normally cheese is curdled with rennet, which comes from the stomach. Right, yes. Um, So this is made by killing a suckling goat and just kind of letting the milk in its stomach react with the rennet in its stomach, and then that turns into this cheese. Oh. Okay. Um, okay. Which people apparently sell like out of their trunks, out of the like boots of their cars because it's illegal. <laughs> Bootleg illegal goat stomach cheese. Yeah. Not sh- hmm. I have to say, I'm not going to be the first in line to try that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of terrible in that I probably would try it. <laughs> um, what I wouldn't try is the other illegal Sicilian cheese, which you may have heard of. Oh, is this the one with the worms in it? Um, then they're, they're not worms. Mm. It's worse. No. <laughs> um, so it's called Kasumatsu, which is right. a, normally a pecorino, which is a nice nutty sheep's milk cheese. I mean, yeah, I, I like a pecorino. So yeah. far, so good. Um, in which the cheese fly has been allowed to lay its eggs in the maggots to live in the cheese. Um, you know, I'm I'm not normally squeamish about the concept of eating bugs. I have eaten bugs. Uh-huh. Um, not in a like child picking bugs up off the ground way, like in, in a kind of way. <laughs> Um, but the maggots are traditionally still alive when you eat the cheese. Um, which, yeah, is, is a problem because they, they produce some delicious sounding chemicals in the cheese, including cadaverine. Okay, that can't be good. And putrescine. No! This is so much worse. This is so much worse than I thought it was, and I thought it was pretty bad. Um, But yeah, apparently it is sold on the black market an estimated 100 metric tons a year um, for twice the price of regular pecorino. Uh, because again this is an illegal cheese there are cheese smugglers out there <laughs> no um but yeah it's tra- so it's traditionally served um in thin strips on a sardinian flatbread served with a strong right. red wine you're going to need some strong drink with that mm um, 
apparently sometimes when you disturb the maggots, they jump up at you. So you traditionally eat it with your hand held over it. <laughs> and sometimes... worse. Sometimes the maggots survive in your stomach and cause myosis, no! which um, you may have heard of fly strike. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh... I feel a little bit sick now. Um, I just I figured we needed to cover it at some point. Um, interestingly though, the um the University of um Sassari, um in Italy, worked with sheep farmers in two thousand and five to produce. Um, a more hygienic way of making the cheese. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how hygienic it can be when you're encouraging flies to lay their eggs in it. Um, but there's basically there's a huge campaign which this was a part of to try and legalize kasumatsu. I don't think it's going well. Oh, I mean, I suppose that goes to show if you make it illegal. People will just flipping buy it because it's illegal and ha 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 illegal cheese. Yeah. Um, <sighs> so the, there are several other kinds of cheese with insects in, mostly from Italy. Okay. Um, but there's also. Um, a German cheese and a French one called Mimolette, which mm -hmm. is cheese mites as part of the aging process. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I love that Italy is known for some of the greatest food in the world, and also this. And also this. <laughs> so yeah, that is. I just wanted to briefly talk about illegal. Sardinian cheeses. Okay. Can we now not talk about that again ever, please? I promise to never mention them to you again. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, if, if you want to contact us, um, you can email breadandfedpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to complain about bringing up the concept of Kasumatsu, but it needed, it needed bringing up. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about this. No, no, we don't. Please don't send me emails about the cheese. Say <laughs> that like you're the one that checks the inbox. <laughs> that is true, but that is that's your cross to bear because you're the one who brought up the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Kasumasu. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, we also have a Twitter where you can see pictures that are absolutely not going to be of this cheese because I will not let Liz do that. Promise. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, you can see pictures of things that we talk about on the show. Uh, you can see teasers for upcoming episodes and um, just whatever we decide we want to talk about. Yeah, we're doing Whip Wednesdays now. Yes. Which is work, work in progress Wednesdays. We have a YouTube 
where as as all the kids do where you can find audio versions of our podcast wait audio versions of our podcast youtube versions of our podcast which is already audio yeah they are they are audio only but they're on youtube if you prefer to get your podcasts that way um we're also on tumblr um reblogging various food um craft aren't humans great type content that's um bread and thread as as of the twitter and youtube we we believe in strong branding <laughs> we're also on patreon uh, patreon.com slash bread and thread so you can get access to patreon exclusive uh discord server where we just hang out and have a nice time as well as patron exclusive recipes which i post every month I believe the last one was sticky toffee pudding an incredibly decadent sticky toffee pudding with two mm. different toffee sauces. <laughs> so fancy. Uh, do we have any other of the social media TM? Just the WordPress, which I already mentioned. Yeah. com. We are yeah. bloggers. We're, we're everywhere, except for TikTok, because <laughs> I don't like it uh yeah not, not a fan although i will watch tiktoks reposted to like pretty much any other social media so what does that I mean, mean the ones that break containment <laughs> you know the the tree the natural cycle of the internet the ones that are good enough will circulate again and again and again yeah and again. until you're sick of seeing them yeah until um, it's like 10 years later So yeah, thank you for listening and we'll be back in a couple of weeks.